Welcome to AMDA in the States, your glimpse into post-acute and long-term care policy, advocacy, and practice at the state level. AMDA in the States is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. And now, here's our host of the podcast, Dr. Christian Bergman. Welcome to another series in the AMDA in the States podcast. I am your host, Christian Bergman, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. AMDA in the States is proud to be part of the AMDA On The Go podcast series. As chair of the newly formed AMDA State-Based Policy and Advocacy Subcommittee of the Public Policy Steering Committee, I'm excited to share examples of what various states and regional AMDA affiliates and members are doing to help shape policy and advocacy on behalf of PLTC residents and staff. As always, resources relevant to this topic and discussion will be posted on the website for further information. Let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jay Slotkin from Southhold, New York on Long Island. Dr. Jay Slotkin is a board-certified internist, geriatrician, and certified medical director with over 40 years of clinical experience practicing as a medical director and attending physician in nursing homes and rehabilitation centers. He received his medical degree from SUNY Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse and completed his residency training at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., before going on to get his MPH in Health Administration from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He settled down for private practice in Long Island, New York, and has worked in many leadership roles, including as president of the medical staff at Eastern Long Island Hospital. He's a longstanding member of the Medical Society of the State of New York and has served as chair of the Long-Term Care Subcommittee since 2018. He's past president of the New York State Medical Directors Association and serves as an active member on the policy committee. He's recently consulting with an ACO on how to collaborate with nursing homes and remains actively involved in education with medical students, residents, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners as clinical associate professor in medicine at SUNY Stony Brook, New York. Welcome, Dr. Slotkin. Thank you very much, Christian. It's really a privilege uh, and uh, to work with you and the group. Thank you. Wonderful to have you here. Thank you for taking some time to share your thoughts with us. Today, we're going to be hearing about uh, ways that you can collaborate with your state medical society. And I think as we have alluded to in previous podcasts, uh, advocacy you know, begins by identifying an issue, uh, identifying your allies, and then you have to identify stakeholders. And one of the key stakeholders in any medical advocacy uh, may be the state medical society. So we're going to explore and interview Dr. Slotkin on how he has worked with the uh, Medical Society of the State of New York and what we've been able to accomplish. Let's jump right in. 
So, Dr. Slotkin, let's go back a little bit, and maybe you can share a little bit with us your original motivation, you know, why primary care, geriatric medicine, maybe those first few years coming out of clinical training, uh, how did you get involved? Certainly, when I uh, was graduating from upstate, first I wanted to consider family medicine. I switched over to internal medicine to focus on adults. So I did two years at an excellent community hospital in Arizona, but I felt I could take care of critically ill patients in the hospital, but I wasn't um, uh, comfortable in the clinic setting, and there was very limited resources there. Luckily, I was able to transfer to George Washington. They wanted me to do an extra year. It was a very robust primary care program, but in addition, they brought a geriatrician on board. And geriatrics had not been on my radar screen, but I started working as part of this geriatrics team, and I found uh, my passion there, the, a holistic approach. And on a practical level, I always felt I could have a job. Tell me about early, you know, mentors that may have guided you and uh, why you decided an MPH was important as part of your formal training. Okay, excellent question. So while I was at George Washington, I became part of this geriatric team. It was myself, the geriatrician who had just finished a training program in New York, a social worker, a PA, but it wasn't sort of all organized. I want to learn the fundamentals. So I took a graduate course in the at George Washington. And the professor in the course knew it, Dr. Ian Lawson, who was a Scotch-trained geriatrician. He was actually a predecessor to AMDA, Jim Pate, and other um, of our uh, namesakes knew him. And um, I met him, and um, he really influenced my earlier career. He actually convinced uh, an HMO in Connecticut to... um, started geriatric program, and I ended up working with him, both as a, uh, an internist in the HMO and um, with uh, Dr. Lawson on this geriatric project. So that's how I, I got into it. <clears throat> what happened is, after I got there, the, the HMO really didn't understand the geriatrics. They were having difficulties. They, um, they ended up disbanding the geriatric program. And I I learned early in my career that there are forces beyond just clinical that really affect geriatrics. And that's when I went from my MPH, I was lucky enough to be accepted at the University of North Carolina. And that's so it led to my interest both in clinical medicine and understanding the system and what can be to, to improve care. I wanna pick up on that second part that you just mentioned, you know, you came to understand forces beyond clinical that impact geriatric and your interest in understanding how the system works. So um, let's, uh, I want to take that idea and I want to think a little bit more about organized medicine. Um, As you were practicing as a practitioner, uh, how did you first get involved with the New York State Medical Directors Association? What was the initial motivation for that? So, So that was the next phase. So what happened when I worked at George Washington and worked with Dr. Lawson, um, I, I really understood the fundamentals of geriatrics, but actually I had not worked in a nursing home. When I, the first day I started uh, out on South Hold, uh, it's located on East, out in Eastern Long Island, a family practitioner who was a medical director, retired from his active practice, continued as medical director, but he handed over 12 patients at the nursing home. So that was my introduction to nursing home. 
So again, I started, I had time early on, so I would attend the meetings at the nursing home when they discussed patients and the rules and all that. And I found it interesting because it tied my interest together. And that led to, you know, okay, where do I go with this? I'm isolated out here. And I heard about the New York Medical Director Association. I heard about AMDA. And eventually I joined both groups. And um, what happened early in my career, although I had a good sense of the fundamentals of geriatrics, and I was learning um, by being in the hospital executive board and all that, that part of it, I started learning about nursing homes, how it works. And I ended up being mentored by senior people uh, within the uh, New York Medical Director Association. And by attending the AMDA meetings, I attended sessions and became much more comfortable working in the nursing home environment. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think uh, as all of us reflect back, the importance of mentorship along the way and strong mentors that uh, AMDA as an organization has provided for, for many of us. Uh, it's been a wonderful to hear. So, you know, you went on to become the president of the New York State Medical Directors Association, and ultimately uh, you were also a member of the Medical Society of the State of New York. Um, so, were you always a member of that, or did that come well, later? Well, let me sort of step back on that. So what happened is, um, just like I end up doing, and my wife comments on this, not only did I get involved with NIMDA, I ended up sitting on the board. And then for many years, I was vice president because I really was focused on the private practice. It was hard for me to become president, but eventually I um, became president of it. So that how that happened. And then as a background, and I got more and more involved with NIMDA. What happened is I joined the medical society because even though it, it was, you know, I, I think it's important to understand the environment you're in. So I said, you know, um, I'm going to join the Medical Society in New York to provide me with information. It'll be a resource. And over the years, it was sort of practical when there were issues with medicated help or I could call the county medical uh, society if there was a problem. But what happened was, again, mentorship steps in. So um, a, a woman named Pat Dooley, who was a very experienced medical director, she it turns out she was chair of this long-term care committee of the Medical Society, which I didn't even know existed. So she knew I was interested in organizational stuff. I had some expertise in home care. So she asked me to be on that committee. So I found myself both in leadership roles with NIMDA, um, you know, AMDA, I was involved with some committees and so forth, but now with the Medical Society. So for the first couple of years, I, I would attend the quarterly meetings and um, it gave me a good sense of the agenda. And specifically the long-term care committee is a subcommittee of the quality improvement and the patient safety committee, but its role is to oversee issues affecting nursing homes, long-term care facilities and home care associations. So the medic there's a lot of committees in um, the Medical Society in New York, and this one specifically did that. So for a couple of years, I was doing that. And what, what happened then, uh, Christian, was uh, Dr. Dooley decided to retire. They needed a, um, a, uh, somebody to replace her as chair. And much to my surprise, people on the committee suggested me. I always wondered why. 
And, and I, think, um, I think they felt that I asked questions, that I had a good sense of what was happening. And that's how I became chair of that committee. So I was in usual situation where I was both with the medical society in a position with long-term care. And I got more and more involved with um, and uh, specifically with NIMDA, with the education committee and with the policy committee. Thank you for sharing. I think it would be important for us to uh, talk a little bit more about the Medical Society of the State of New York because it's a rather large organization and not every uh, AMA affiliate uh, in various states has so many committees. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the uh, committee organization? So you're saying that the long-term care subcommittee is a subcommittee of the committee, which is on quality right. and so, safety. Um, yeah, what, what I'll do, and I think, you know, I've, I've listened to talks given by Mike um, and um, Dan Hamowitz, and every state is different, but you need to know your the specific area if you're really going to accomplish a specific goal. And so I'll talk a little bit about the medical society and then we can talk something which is really the meat of this. How does one get something done in that environment? So what I learned is the medical society is quite large and they have multiple subcommittees, a lot of them. They have the professional leadership and they have an executive director, but just like working with AMDA, one of the keys is working with the staff. We all know in terms of doing policy work, you wanna keep Alex on board. And I was very lucky with the long-term care committee. There's a, a Mo Oster who's a lawyer, and general counsel, but he attended the meetings and he, he is involved in if the the, a medical society like New York does have resources. It has lobbyists, it has contacts. So I recommend anyone working with their state medical society to find out how they're organized. Um, so that's how it's set up. And I, I think it'd be helpful, Christian, if I give an example of one of the resolutions and, and walk it through how that happened in that context. Is that okay with you? And now, a word from our sponsor. Your residents who have a neurologic condition or brain injury may not be crying because of their depression. It may be pseudo-bulbar effect. For resources related to screening for PBA, please visit pbainfo.org. And now, back to our podcast. Yeah, that's totally fine. Just one quick thing, ahead, you know, in, in the resources associated with this podcast, we will be posting a list of the committee structure for right. uh, the medical society. And uh, I just, I would add, I would ask folks to take a look at that. Just like Dr. Slotkin said, if you are going to get involved in your medical society, you need to know how it's structured and where and who you can speak to. So um, we're going to highlight that, but uh, let's. So we talked about the long-term care subcommittee. Let's talk about the a resolution. So okay. uh, let's. One, one other comment before you do that, and what I've really learned, and I, I went off, you know, early in my career to get this MPH, and 
when you, when you start working through a policy and then you want to make it into law, it's a totally different process than clinical care. And um, although as a geriatrician, we can relate to that because we have patients with comorbidities, you have to understand the environment that you're working in. So in terms of the resolution, um, so number one, when you become chair of a committee, it turns out you have control of the agenda. So number one, you develop a positive relationship with the staff people, people like Mo, and there's another woman, Pat Clancy, in New York. You listen to them, they have their agendas, they have old business, they schedule the meetings. But as chair, you can control the agenda. So what happened was, the, the issue of medical director registry has been floating around for a number of years. And like other states, um, New York Medical Director Association started looking at that. So the goal was, you know, how can we get the medical society to support it? So there were two processes that allowed us to move forward on that. So number one is to develop a resolution. So what happened, we started by working with NIMDI, NIMDA, that, um, you know, and the policy committee and the executive board, is it a uh, priority? And we decided it was. And then the policy, the policy committee started to shape together a uh, resolution. At a few of the long-term care meetings, I put that on the agenda to educate the other people about the uh, medical director registry. And, um, and I believe it's important, and I wanna make this point now, when you deal with the medical society, very few people understand nursing homes. So part of your goal, if you're gonna get involved, well, if you're a long-term care person, work with your medical society, take the time to educate people. Even people on the long-term care committee, um, some of them are hospital-based, they're nurses who work in home care, so we took the time to educate them. So we developed a policy, uh, a resolution, and then brought it to the long-term care committee. And eventually it was endorsed by that committee. So that's one step. Number two, the other process that goes on before informally introducing the committee, we found out that every uh, fall, all the subspecialty areas for the medical society in New York get together to develop the priorities. We had never been invited to do that. And two years ago, we were invited. So I worked very closely with Tim Hallahan, who's also involved with NIMDA and uh, with, with AMDA. And actually, we actually talked about the long-term committee and our agenda. This was our five minutes. And then we actually brought up the medical director registry as our priority. So at least the leadership and the general membership was informed of that. So number one, we created a resolution. And number two is we educated the, the leadership about where we were going with this. So how do you actually get the resolution done? It was really a handoff to Tim Hallahan. It turns out 
he was chair of a, a section uh, that's of the um, medical society called the uh, Section for Young Physicians. He actually brought that to them and they endorsed it. He also had some, um, went to some uh, county medical societies and they endorsed it. So with these endorsement in hands, he then sent it to the resolution committee who looked at the content of it and then tweaked it to uh, make the language appropriate for a resolution for the medical society. And then Tim, as a member of the House of Delegates, introduced it at the House of Delegates meeting two years ago, and it was passed. So, which means that um, the, the support of a medical director registry is a, uh, 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 a, a priority of the Medical Society of New York. And so we, that's sort of where we are right now. Yeah, and let me uh, just read the final part of that resolution. The, the resolution states that the Medical Society of the State of New York shall collaborate with the New York State Department of Health to create an active up-to-date registry for nursing home medical directors and associate medical directors that can be easily accessed by physicians, hospitals, and or health systems. So that has now ended up as the, on the policy compendium for the state medical association. And that is very helpful in terms of further uh, lobbying or advocacy efforts moving forward, you know, after this. So congratulations on doing that. That's really wonderful work. Thank you. So, uh, if it, you know, um, so the question then, you know, and thank you very much. And um, so a couple comments and then kind of looking to the future on that. Number one, Tim Hallahan was really my partner in crime on this. Um, he, he really worked on the resolution. He walked it through the house and I was sort of the front man, sort of an Abbott and Costello to work it through. And as I see these wonderful people on the committees, um, your committees, it's really hard to do it alone. You, you need to have people you work with. Now, going forward, what's interesting, and I'm not sure we had discussed this before, Christian, that actually um, at one of our NIMDA meetings, we had a state senator there who seemed interested in nursing homes. And to make a long story short, um, the legislature and the governor decided they wanna have a task force uh, looking at various geriatric issues. And one of them is a task force on long-term care. It was passed into law. Now I'm saying that because there are actually two physicians that are part of this legislative task force. And one of them is a representative from the New York Medical Director Association. And the other one is uh, from the um, New York affiliate of the American College of Physicians. And at this time, that representative also happens to be Paula Lester, who's actually on, uh, the, uh, on the leadership of NIMDA too, and understands nursing home. Now I say that, that we have to be patient. Although that was passed into law, there's still screening it and so forth and nothing's happened. But it's my sense and what I hope is that at the right time, they'll bring the medical director registry up. And we're not starting from scratch 
like they did in California, and I give them a lot of credit. It's already embedded in the medical society. The medical society has the lobbyists. So I'm optimistic <laughs> that maybe it goes beyond just a nice resolution into state law or something that can be enforced by the health department. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Important first step, but certainly not finished. You know, I That's think there will be absolutely correct. There will be more down the road, but That's right. Uh, many of the policy uh, that end up in the association, uh, the professional staff of the state association may just be looking for the right year to turn that into law. So not every resolution is key every year. It depends on the situation in the state and what the priorities are of the legislative. So they may be going through those policies and picking or choosing those that they think have the greatest success. So don't be discouraged if the medical society decides to not push for your resolution that year. It may be coming the next year. Um, it's just they have a certain priorities. They're trying to fit in with their um, network. So yeah. I, mean, I just want to comment on it. I don't think the push is going to come from the medical society. My hope is that the, the push is going to come from the legislator that if we can make a case on that task force and then they go to the medical society, that's where it's going to come from. Again, I, I raise the issue, and I've raised this on the committees we're on, people do not understand geriatrics. They don't even understand primary care. So I think this has, so I agree with you with the timing, but I think the push if it's going to go anywhere, will come from the legislation. My that's my thinking anyway. Yeah, really important. Uh, sounds like you guys have a you know bright future up there in New York and a lot of strong work here over the last uh, not just the last two years. I will say that this work probably began five eight years ago with multiple people. Um, so well, and I want to give Dallas Nelson, uh, the president of NEMDA a lot of credit. I mean, we have a great board. The, exe the executive board meets once a month as past president, I'm part of that. And, but the um, Dallas is our lead person and she makes sure everybody is on the same page. And we all sort of have our, um, bring our own skills to the table. Everybody has different skill set, And that's one reason I like Amda. Um, and uh, I, you know, that's why I felt privileged to be part of this. Um, I'm not, I don't have a sense of humor like Dan Hamowitz, but hopefully I bring something to the table. <laughs> yeah, you certainly do. We appreciate all your energy. Um, speaking of the energy, we always like to ask everybody, you know, why advocacy for you? You know, why do you think, uh, why are you driven by this? Um, what's your motivation? Well, I think early on, uh, since my I, I was always sort of, I had a, a idyllic childhood with, um, with wonderful parents and all that. And I did my residency, I was able to transfer to this and everything was smooth sailing. And then when I got involved with the geriatrics, I attended some meetings and I started throwing out ideas and raising my voice and everybody yelled at me <laughs> and said, I couldn't do that. And it was the first time in my life, but really, I went to that meeting down in Dallas when I first got involved, they had some money in geriatrics and I liked the multidisciplinary thing. So I guess that sort of continued with me. 
I enjoy clinical medicine. I went with primary care, like uh, dealing with people and medical directors are really special people. They don't only have the clinical skills, but they know how the nursing home works. They know how the, the community works. And, you know, I now hopefully have the skill set based on my experience being part of the long-term care committee. And I have Pat Dooley to thank for that. So I, I like my life to be interesting and it is, and to make the world a better place. I really believe in primary care. And I think, um, I think geriatrics is just a part of that. <clears throat> I think there's a saying that goes, you know, without deviation from the norm, you know, progress is not possible. So uh, we appreciate that you are able to deviate from the norm. And uh, <laughs> that sometimes, you know, people yell and so forth, but we need fighters out there in advocacy and people that think outside the box. So thank you for doing uh, what you do. That's why I like jazz, Christian. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, thank you, Dr. Jay Slotkin, for this uh, very helpful interview and uh, shared a lot of good tips in working with the Medical Society. And the last question we always ask everybody is just, you know, any last words of advice for folks that are listening to this interview, any young physicians or seasoned physicians? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I, I really would appreciate feedback if this is helpful because it is sort of coming out of right field. It's not typical clinical medicine or the rules of the nursing homes, but I really believe changes are needed. And I think young physicians, if they're really going to get involved in the nursing home situation, should... Number one, you should join your medical society um, and learn about it. Number two, don't be afraid to jump on onto a, a committee. Number three, take a course in management or um, administration and so forth, because if you're going to be among the players, you need to develop those those skill sets. And you know, certainly, I'm out here and just like you are, Christian to mentor anybody that's interesting. And I find myself doing that. And um, it's a good feeling like Dr. Lawson and Pat Dooley did for me. And I wanna thank you for the privilege of participating in this series. Yeah, I think wonderful advice there, you know, learn the medical society, get engaged. Don't be afraid to be engaged and jump on a committee. And a course in management, of course, the AMDA core curriculum uh, is helpful, but may not have some of the business or other elements. So certainly, you know, enhancing your education with professional leadership courses and the like, um, very helpful. And I'll share, I think that the AMDA annual conference uh, sometimes brings up some sessions that are helpful for organizational skills and leadership. So uh, certainly helpful to attend those annual meetings. Well, um, thank you, Dr. Jay Slotkin, and thank you all for listening to another series of the AMDA in the States podcast. I am your host, Christian Bergman, coming from Richmond, Virginia. Thank you for what you do for older adults and residents. Be kind, be persistent, and be passionate. Thank you. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, visit paltc.org slash podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals.